Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Can you believe it's already nearly the end of 2021? Yep, and only seven or eight shopping days left until Christmas and just two weeks until New Year's Eve. So let's all get in the festive spirit and bring on the eggnog. Okay, on today's show, I'm certain you'll dig my guest, Janish, you can call him Jay Neumann, former Russian counterintelligence officer and current graphic novel executive producer and creator. Ooh, that's a mouthful. We'll discuss his Red Atlantis graphic novel, who will play him in the upcoming adaptation of his work, wink, wink, and so much more. So it is time to get in the Thriller Zone. Hello, David. Is that you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very handsome young man. Well, young, it's, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's not, not correct. <laughs> We had a little bit of this conversation uh, via text when I was talking about the pecs and so forth. And what did you say? Something about uh, not bad for a 40-year-old or something? Yes, like an over 40-year-old. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yes. Yes, and I, I told you there's a difference between the uh, 40 and 60 in the gym that we're just paying less attention to the girls around us. And the only reason is because we're wearing glasses. We just can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let me tell you a little something as we sit here in the green room getting ready to start. Um, the shift between the 40s and the 60s is uh, you're in for a real treat. <laughs> well, I guess the how I feel it, you just your time of recovery between the uh, takes and sets in the gym is just increasing. Like you, you're turning 30, it's already extra 15 minutes. Then you're going for a 40, it's another 10 or 15 minutes. And then I guess it's just going to be longer and longer. <laughs> yes. And the same is true of having too many cocktails and staying up too late. Yeah. Yeah, but you're enjoying them more. It's not a race anymore. It's not a competition. It's just you just can't. Yeah, you can just enjoy it. Yeah, isn't it funny? Back in the day, it was like, how many of those can we have? And now it's just like, can I just enjoy one at a time? And there's no rush, no pressure. Yeah, yes. You just kind of, you're enjoying the time, presence, friends, conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's not about the, it's not about the uh, quantity, it's about the quality. From the exactly. <laughs> well, I'm jumping ahead, but now, now is that accent, that's Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, where is that? Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was so close. So close. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, welcome to the Thriller Zone, I, where you are guaranteed a thrill a minute. Perfect. Love it. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And before we get into your super unique story, which my listeners and viewers are going to love, as well as your Red Atlantic graphic novel, let's talk about things like... Let's, let's start with your background, just like youth, uh, because I'd like to know a little bit about you that way. Where'd you grow up and how'd you meet your lovely wife, Victoria? Let's start there. Well, was born when it was Soviet Union, uh, mm -hmm. 70s, uh, right on the pike of the Cold War. So I got all this flavor of what was going on between Russia and United States. I raised during this um, interesting time. And then my youth... 
um, it was a collapse of the Soviet Union. So it's like I was right in the middle of the transition between the two eras, modern Russia and the uh, Soviet Union. Uh, right after the high school, I joined the KGB high school, uh, which is uh, right now is the FSB Academy. So basically, right from the uh, school classroom, I went to the spy school. And I spent five years and I spent five, five years um, in the training. Um, and my main kind of qualification or um, it was a catch American spies. So kind of I'm like a fox catcher at, at first place. So then I was working as an investigator um, and um, then later on joined the operative unit. And after that, I worked as a, I can call it, well, we can call it, let's say, as an undercover inside the bank. Uh, bank was a, sort of like a spy nest for Russian intelligence uh, agencies and uh, was the main platform for illegal financial operations in the name of Russian state. After that, it's multi-billion dollar operations and you guys most likely read about it, about the Deutsche Bank and such. And then later on, I, um, I left Russia due to some uh, circumstances. And uh, from this moment, I was helping United States uh, agencies and uh, their allies on uh, uh, international money laundering, money legalization and unusual crimes for about five, six years. I mean, as a child, did you think, you know what, I'm, I want to grow up to be a spy. A lot of guys uh, in this country, I want to grow up to be a baseball player, an astronaut. I don't know how many people go, yeah, I want to be a spy and hunt down the bad guys. Well, I never thought I want to be a spy. It was, um, it was not the path I want to go in the first place. Even, like, realistically, my whole family was involved in this type of business. Uh, but in people around us as well, because family and then family, friends and connections. But I thought I maybe want to be like an engineer or I want to be maybe a journalist. I actually was in art school before, uh, at the same time when I was in, in normal school, I was in art school as well. So that's um, maybe one, it was one of the ways where I want to go. So maybe be an artist. Um, and then when I already was in high school, decision was made for me. So I was voluntarily forced to join the uh, spy world. It's a, it's the same thing as it was here in US in 70s and 60s, uh, early 80s, and same as it is in UK uh, in 80s, 90s, and before that, I'm not sure how it is now, uh, when the system is trying to fulfill it from within the system. So they're looking for people uh, who already have connections and ties, so you're more obligated, you more um, belong to them. You're like uh, old boys club. Right. So that's why, yeah, that decision was made. And uh, I can't say I had much of the choice, but yeah, that's the way it went. And how about uh, your wife is Victoria, right? That's correct. Yes. And how did, how did you guys meet and merge your two lives? I'm just curious. Well, I, I, let's, I mean, maybe you can just come up on your own with that. So her favorite movie is Salt. Oh, and okay. She, and she has the same training as I am. Even she's more, <laughs> she's more technical, she's more nerdy, she's more cyber. Um, and she has no accent at all in English and several more languages. So yeah, she's kind of, yeah, she, we, we, we met uh, during our work days. So she's her own superpower. Kind of, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and uh, yes, and that's, that's why in, <laughs> in my case, there is no way I can come up with any excuse or any 
uh, way how I just can decoy any of my actions. So I have to be straightforward with her all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like living with a polygraph next to me. So that's it. <laughs> it's funny when you said salt, I, I was switching between salt and is it Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, you're, you're kind of a hybrid of the two. Yes, but it was funny when um, we've already been here in States and doing this work for U.S. government, we were in Portland, Oregon. Great place, really quiet, nice. And uh, um, even before the movie was released, we've been using the legend that we are consultants. And the question is like, what are you guys doing? We're consulting. So, and then and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I guess it was the same thing. Like, why are you just consultants? Sure. So that's, that's, yeah, we, we live this life and, uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, but it's not 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 that um, much of the action. Let's put it this way, like it was in the movie, Mr. Right. Speed. So you don't walk so around all. Go ahead. Yeah, less glamorous. It's more normal, quiet um, life. Yes. Got it. You don't have an AK-47 up underneath your arm. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I wish, but no. Sometimes I wish, but no. <laughs> hey, hey. By the way, side note. I see we have. I was, uh, as you know, I was uh, lurching in the shadows on LinkedIn this morning. And I see that we share a mutual connection. I don't know if you guys are friends, but David McCloskey? Yes, I do know him, and uh, we are connected, put it this way. Yeah. <laughs> Have you read his book, Damascus Station? Not yet. I'm going to. I'm just still waiting for it. So uh, I guess David and I, we had a deal. I'm going to send him my Red Atlantis and Almost American, and I supposed to receive from him his book. So that's, uh, but I'm just waiting on him. Yeah. So just, let, let me just officially throw the stone to him, to his Dallas location or whatever. Right. He, uh, he was an exceptional interview, and uh, I'm working on a top 10 story for the end of the year, and I think that book may make the top 10. It was just a page turner. Wow. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to check it. Yes, I spoke with him several times. We connected. I just need to I need to get I need to get his book. So that's I'm, that's my. Um, must do must have list at least for an excellent month i'm watching this little grin behind your face and i'm like what is he what is he hiding what is he what's the ulterior message there where i mean the, the, this one the small one this no, is no, no. no which left right or yeah no i was talking about your face but uh, i do oh. see the um i ripped through your uh graphic novels let's go ahead and jump into this because i do want to know yeah um how your professional background influenced the making of Almost American, these graphic novels. I've always been a graphic novel fan, and it's interesting, and we'll we'll go all over the place on this, but I was looking at the different, and I should be able to pull them up here, but I'll, I will bring it up on the screen. There's a couple of different styles. Does that reflect visiting artists or various episodes? Artists. It's all about. I mean, if almost American, uh, the, the the cover pages itself, they I think they are phenomenal at first place. And, uh, and Russ Wooten made a really great job. Uh, his goal was to catch this atmosphere, this taste of the competition within Russia and United States. And also, he knows that I'm a big fan of like uh, classic times, uh, let's say 60s, 70s, and that's why he was going like directly. Try, he tried to catch this atmosphere and these images from it. And I think he nailed it. So he's yeah. he's there because I have issue one has a several uh, different colors, one of even mosaics. Uh, so it's it's really right on. Um, and uh, almost American, it's a biopic story. 
put it this way. So it's it's basically uh, Victoria's and my um, life journey. It's our life. Uh, it started in Dominican uh, Dominican Republic with flashbacks to Russia and then what was happening here in States. Of course, it is a compressed version. And uh, uh, it's only about, it, it, it covers about 15 to 14 years of our life. Um, also, great thing about the Almost American that the writer, Ron Martz, he's a friend of ours, he's a former journalist. So he was a journalist himself. He knows how to work with live material. He's not just a creator. He's not just a great comic uh, writer, but he's the guy who knows how to work with real stories, how, how, how to transform uh, some facts and some narrative into something really, really cool. Um, and then, of course, uh, artist, um, it was a really hard choice because Aftershock gave us a list of the writers, uh, artists with whom we potentially can work and copyright. And uh, Ron's and our choice was Marco Castelio. He, he's phenomenal. So the idea was to, to make the story kind of as a comic book, by all means, but at the same time to have this um, feeling of it's a life story, it's real people. So I guess Marco, he was able to execute it. And uh, they, uh, small sneak peek, in issue five, uh, there will be about seven people from real life who signed the um, image release form, and uh, they will be portrayed in issue five. They're a friend of ours. Uh, some of, uh, there are some my attorneys, my legal team, and my really close friends, and they will be in issue five of uh, Almost American. Uh, and uh, they've got uh, some notes, of course, from Victoria and I. I told them, don't make me so masculine, don't make me like a super uh, hero type, which <laughs> they unfortunately did. Um, so now to the book presentation, I have to catch the gym and I have to be in the same shape as my character, which, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> um, which is not that easy. Um, so yeah, I mean, almost Americans kind of, it's a really interesting story. I was going to say, you can't, uh, you can't have the uh, graphic novel making you this super buff dude and then you show up to your pitches and like, Where'd the guns go? Where'd, where'd the beautiful chess go? Yeah. <laughs> the COVID. I mean, I have a great explanation right now. COVID. I was not able to go to the gym. I was staying at home. So <laughs> no big muscles. I have to kind of, I, I dropped it all. <laughs> there you go. And just a side note that the uh, issue one was released back in September, if I'm That's correct. correct. Two yeah. was in uh, October, three in November, and then four and five are coming soon is all i know i don't four, know four is coming in december i'm not sure which date is but five supposed to be released uh, january 25th gotcha okay let me let me back up one quick step just to make sure that i don't miss this and that my listeners aren't going okay well yeah he's uh russian he's uh, the gra graphic novel let me make sure because your story, I don't want to butcher the facts, your story is so layered, um, and I'd like to share the big story of, both, of your professional background as a former Russian NSB counterintelligence officer and how that went, it became a graphic novel versus, versus becoming a standard novel, fiction, thriller. Why a graphic novel? I noticed you mentioned uh, your love of art, so I have to believe there's an influence of that. So let's start there, just to be sure I'm really crystal clear. We actually, we thought to go the classic way, let's say, the, the normal way, just to make a book out of our story. Uh, we had a several chats with the big publishers and people have been interested, and they're still interested, uh, but they've all been asking for a happy end. 
they need a American happy end. Story is supposed to end at some point, right? So it's supposed to be end of some journey and then beginning of the new life. Uh, in our case, it's it was not done yet in the moment when we've been talking to the publishers. So we had some uncertainty uh, due to uh, some issues which have been created, unfortunately, by some U.S. Uh, bureaucratic machine organization, which was not able to fulfill what they're supposed to do in the first place. So we decided, okay, maybe we should wait a bit, and then we can do the book a bit later, uh, because we're still working on our story. I mean, I'm likely, likely we're, st- we're still alive, so which is good, uh, and the stories keep going. It's not done yet. So we decided, okay, let's wait. And then a friend of mine, uh, Ross Schneiderman, he is a former editor of the Newsweek, uh, reached out to me and, and uh, said that, I mean, he spoke with the, uh, his friends, publishers from Aftershock Media, and uh, they're really interested uh, to do the graphic novel based on your journey. We've been thinking about that, and uh, we spoke with them. And I think that was the best way to bring our story like in a, in a short, brief, and really visual format uh, before we can do book. because uh, And um, that's why we decided to go with the graphic novel. So it's, it's really unusual thing to do the life, like biopic journey inside the graphic novel. It was more like an experiment, let's say, for them as well. Got it. Same as for us. Um, but I think they nailed it. And, all, and also, uh, Almost American itself is done as... As you as, as look at the story, it's almost... It seems like a TV series. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of cinematic in it. So all of this, on the arch itself, the, how the story is placed, it's all done uh, based on our vision how potentially a TV series or movie can be done. So yes, that, that's the... Um, so yeah, that's the, the way it was created. That's why we decided to go this way. We're going to circle back around to that because uh, I, I was talking to someone just recently and I mentioned this probably quite too often. Uh, my background having been also involved in film, but I see every book, almost every book I read, I see as a movie. And I, you know, I I instantly begin to subconsciously break it down into a screenplay. And one of the things I loved about this graphic novel, besides the fact that I just dig graphic novels, it's so interesting how much story you can tell with just a single pane of graphic. There's, you know, there's one or two or multiple bubbles and so you're you're reading the story, but that simple frame is almost as though it's telling an entire scene. It's not an actual; it's part of a scene because the scenes progress. But it it infers so much that you don't have to read, and that's part of the reason I enjoy it. I mean, you wouldn't call them cartoons because a cartoon is flat and one-dimensional and it, it doesn't do the same thing i hope this makes sense and i love the fact uh, back to an earlier comment you made it has a flashback era feel about it it doesn't feel like uh the modern day graphic novel i feel like i've I'm go- i've gone back in time yeah and uh the, the, actually that's one of the things which i really do love about the graphic novels it's really visual so you in one page it's technically, it's about, about a chapter in a normal book. So that's how much art can tell you. Yeah. Art talks to you, and you have to use your own imagination. And art also gives you this ability. It's like in a movie. When you're watching the movie, if you really like it, if it's really well done, you're going to dive in it. And you're just watching this, and you're just part of what's going on on the screen. In, in a graphic novel format, if it's really well done, it's the same thing. You are in it. 
Mm-hmm. This talks to you, and you have to not just only go through the line after line after line. No, you kind of you have to use your imagination. You you are fully integrated into the process. And I guess they've been able to execute it in almost American Android Atlantis too. But we're going to talk about this later. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because fully integrated. That's a great phrase because you do you get lost in just one frame. And I find myself, you know. I want to rush ahead to to read the dialogue, and yet I find myself just really admiring the scene itself. Um, so, Red Atlantis graphic novel is what you call—I don't know where I read this—a a shadow parallel reality. Is that? Explain that to me. Well, I mean, the story itself, Red Atlantis, um, it's interesting how it was created at first place. So my wife, uh, it was in uh, 2017, she was working, 17, 18, she was working on some uh, intelligence research. And uh, she was writing about what what this could be, what are the possibilities of potential misinformation, disinformation campaigns in social media, how this could affect uh, American audience and such. And at the same time, with my friends, I have uh, two business partners down in California, in LA, Nicholas Leeds and David Pavoni, both producers and writers. We've been working on a, a documentary TV series uh, concept called Red X. It's about this crazy Soviet experiments from the uh, 1920s uh, up to like 90s. Um, it's similar to uh, American program MKUltra. So LSD, all this crazy mind reading stuff, all of this, it's like sure. nuclear, it's like nuclear punk ty- type of experiments. And which uh, we, we try to kind of to make it as a, t- as a TV series, a documentary ones. And uh, one day uh, my wife, she asked me, like, what do I think about some notes she put on a paper? And I had this both documents on my table, on my deck, uh, desk. And... Uh, um, at some point, I just like, why we can't just merge it? Let's make something really cool out of it. Like, we can bring this real intelligence research and data and mix it with the, all these craziest stories from the, uh, from the Cold War era. Uh, and I started to work on it. And Red Atlantis was born, basically. Um, and then I, my, my partner, Nicholas Leeds, he joined me on the, on the writing process. We created about like 55-page manuscript as a Bible. Um, we created the whole, this underworld, this parallel reality, like you have United States, you have Russia, and between them, you have this like a um, uh, hidden, uh, you can't say it like deep state, it's more as a deep spy organization, it's called Red Atlantis. They are followers of this crazy idea that the whole world is supposed to be destroyed and new humanity should be born from the remains, like for the fire, um, more as like Trotsky ideas, put it this way, like crazy completely. Uh, and they have this network of the spies, sleeper cells all around the uh, U.S. and, and, and Western Europe. Uh, their mothership is Russia, but only reason because it was really easy to take for them after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Like they kept this agenda from 1920s and 30s. Then they've been purged, and then but they still exist in the shadow world, and then they appear again in 90s. So we created this all, we put it on, on a paper, and uh, that's how Red Atlantis actually was born. So we wrote it. We've got uh, the um, pitch document, uh, which was really torture for me uh, when we've been cutting off all these crazy ideas and just try to compress them in ten page document, <laughs> and uh, that that was painful. Uh, I was f- fighting for for every line. Um, 
but we did it and we submit again to the aftershock and they almost immediately they said yes let's do it and they found us a writer and then we started to work with stephanie phillips she's a writer she's amazing and uh, artists guys just to make this story uh we but interesting thing about the red atlantis uh we try to put as may as much as possible real scenarios how this could be of course we turn them into the sci-fi mode it's like the uh, x-files for example sure. or That's... things like that but at the same time you can see there are lots of like real scenarios which could be there like let's say for example book is starting from the uh, attack of this red atlantis uh, spies on operatives on the uh, um, voting station in, uh, in texas mm-hmm. so it's reality like how you can affect uh, the the election process so you need to create some kind of a diversion maybe some um even even bloody diversion but still something so okay we started from this moment and then there is uh, some uh, protests you can see that what's going on in like in the next next to the fbi building there are some assassinations there are some uh chasing and then fbi guys who are uh, coming on the scene and they have no idea what's going on and they're really chasing the innocent person because they're just following the books, following the instructions, the rules. So there are lots of the real stuff from real life, from real experience. And also we, we use this power of the creator. We, um, some, some of the, let's put it this way. Um, some of the characters inside the story, they do have real prototypes. The way how they look, the way how they act, the way who they are, the way they are making decisions, they do have real prototypes. So everything like Red Atlantis is is loaded with the um, some predictions, some intelligence stuff. It, it's yeah, it's what I can say about this. So it's bordering on uh, uh, well, reality, but a dangerous reality, so to speak. And some of that stuff you were saying earlier about Texas and voter fraud, and so, that's pure fiction, isn't it? Uh, completely. Yeah. Completely. Just, yeah, no, that's <laughs> no comments just... on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you even look at the cover page of the Red Atlantis. It was released in December 2020, I guess the day of the, uh, of the um, election. And uh, uh, if you look at the cover page of the story, we decided not to put the White House, we put the Capitol Hill in it. And you can see this really kind of a really extremely strange activity yes. right next to it. So, and then after what happened later on, we have a bunch of the, I had a bunch of the messages from um, friends who've been asking like, how guys, how did you know about what, what, what is coming? How did you know what could happen? Uh, but we kind of, we, when we've been working on this, we try to create as a greatest scenario as possible, what this could be. Like, what if Taurus and all these theories, conspiracy theories about the deep state, about this deep network of the foreign sleepers inside the is true? What, what if it's true? What if Soviets been able to achieve their dream of creating this um, uh, per- spies with the paranormal abilities? What if it's true? What if it, uh, what if it happens? So... Um, we've been. Uh, I, I'm here on a, on a um, East Coast, and my friends guys on West Coast in, in LA, and we've been working, developing some stuff uh, via normal Zoom calls. So we just have this conversation, and once it was really funny moment. We've been uh, talking about how potentially we can attack the FBI building, how we can destroy. Uh, some amount of people, how we just create some kind of a diversion, how we can avoid the surveillance and um, and conference surveillance and all these kind of crazy things. And I didn't notice, I was sitting in my headphones and I was speaking out loud um, to, to the camera, but I didn't notice that um, our neighbors, they've been on their deck with their family and friends 
and they heard all of that. Oh, so <laughs> and they had no idea what I'm talking about. They didn't know that I'm writing the book. So they, like, when I turned after I was done, I just, uh, I closed my laptop and I turned uh, on, on the back and I saw them. Uh, they just turned immediately outside, like, on a different direction. They just sure. decided, like, they, I, I not exist even. So that when the book was uh, published six months after that, uh, like, released, I, I, gave, I gave them a book and I explained what, what this was about. <laughs> Because they were shocked. Like they, they, people thought that we are planning some crazy things. They they had no idea that we're working on a script or working on some kind of a crazy idea. No, they they really thought that we are some kind of a bad guy. I'm not sure they reported me or not, but they thought that we are crazy people. Well, I was waiting for you to tell me that uh, you know uh, a dozen soldiers showed up in full gear, SWAT gear, and black head to toe with AK-47s coming at you, and, but. That was not the case. Uh, that's hilarious. You really are living the dream. I mean, you're you're taking your background and your uh, political leanings and your research and your security observation, your consultancy, and now you're weaving it into a medium that is uh, acceptable to all people. I mean, it's it's really totally cool. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but entertainment industry itself. It has less hypocrisy and it's more fair than work for the government. Because look, and look, look. Here's here's my view, my five cents. I've been working for both governments on both sides of the pond. In work for the government, you everyone is saying you can't lie. You you should say the truth all the time. We're doing the good things. Reality, you know, is completely opposite uh, from from what they've been saying. In showbiz, you know, it's all about the lies. It's about the creating the bubble. It's part of the game, and you know it, and no one is trying to hide it. From this view, point of view, that's, that's more fair business than work for the state, for the government, by all means. And it's, it's really, it's, it's big competition, it's hard. There are lots of people trying to achieve a lot of things. You know, it's a lot of, uh, if I'm not sure I can say this word, sort of bullshit in this, in, in this industry too. Yeah, but reality is, it's, it's more fair, and it's more interesting, and it's more forgiving than any other business. You just can do your thing. You just can come up with any crazy idea you want, as long as you can find the right person um, who can support you with that and who can just follow you. That's fantastic. That's all in your hands. Of course, you need some luck, but all, overall, it's. Uh, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah, it's really great. And plus, uh, the background, the training itself is really helpful. Creating characters, you're doing the basic profiling. Is the way you've been trained. The same thing. Telling this story, just like you're working on operative materials, you're just creating this stuff. Yeah, it really is. Uh, people ask all the time, ask authors. I ask authors on the show constantly about, you know, <clears throat> point of view and how much they enjoy it. But we really do have the ultimate gig. We get to create worlds out of thin air and uh, make you in, enjoy the ride. And uh, I can't think of anything much better than that. Uh, I was back to LinkedIn comment. Uh, I, I see that you're basically a consultant and have been a consultant uh, for quite some time in a lot of different uh, avenues and also co-founder, executive producer of 3NJ Kino Lab, which is basically the, the heat behind these graphic novels. What is a average day, um, without getting too personal or too in-depth, just because, uh, you know, a the word consultant is often a... Uh, uh, and an, an umbrella phrase that is it, it, when you said this earlier, it made me think you, you are, you're either a consultant or you're in sales. You no, know, what I mean is if you say either one of those things, it could be a hundred different things. Yeah, it's pretty much it. 
I'm in touch with several guys, uh, quite several guys, people who are their former uh, U.S. government officials. So they work in like the guys from the FBI agency and other organizations. Uh, they have their own private security firms and companies. Uh, and uh, they, sometimes they need some help, let's say some research or do some work uh, on some, some basic analytical work. Uh, um, so I'm, I'm working as a subject matter expert. Depends upon what they need, what they're looking for. Uh, specifically, at the same time, I'm almost 24-7 involved in what we're trying to do with my company, with my guys, with the entertainment projects. Um, besides these two graphic novels, which have been released already, we, we're developing one on our own right now uh, without a publisher. Uh, we just found a private investor, and uh, it's a revenge thriller. Um, we have Ron Martz who's writing this, and we have Jason Masters, the uh, really amazing artist, the guy who just recently finished the James Bond graphic novel. He's working with us on this project, and uh, we hope um, the, this project will be released next year, uh, June, July. Um, we have several documentary projects. So my on my daily base, kind of I'm always involved in some process, some creative process. Um, of course, the best one since when we have, we call it like a writer's table, it's pretty normal, when we have several people just, we're just discussing Chrome's ideas before we're going to put them all on a paper. So after Shock, it calls all the shots on uh, Almost American, which means um, like movie deals, record deals, etc. They put the money out into publication, uh, promotion, advertising, etc. You get a little piece of the action. Whereas if you self-publish, like I do currently, you have to do more work, perhaps, but you get a larger piece of the pie. So with your new project, you are completely self-financed, uh, so you get to control everything, basically. Is that so it's, it's all about the creative control, yes, at some, uh, in most of the cases, but at the same time, we have to put um, all our time and the money uh, in it as well. So when we've been working almost American and Red Atlantis with the Aftershock, uh, it's a, I, I can't give you the percentage, but it, it's like deal with the publisher. So you almost have like equal uh, shares in the project. Um, they are fully responsible for printing, for bringing on board a writer and the artist. But of course, they're discussing this with you. So you have options. You can pick with whom you want to work. Um, as, as for Atlantis, for example, I've been staying on the project from the day one till the moment it was released because we've been in touch with Stephanie. She had a full creative freedom, but at the same time, she was working on notes which we gave to her, like our Bible of the story. So... Uh, as for uh, the project we're working on right now with Ron and uh, Jason, Ron is a writer. He has a f uh, freedom as well. But at the same time, we are fully involved in this creative process because it's our project, our ideas, and our money on the line as well. Realistically, if we do Valhalla, if we really, when we release Valhalla, it will be 100% ours, except then you have to share lots of money with the Comixology, for example, or Diamond, which is uh, not great, but it's the way it is. You're losing a lot because it's like a comicsology. It's uh, um, it's Amazon, so and you know the deals with Amazon. So you you you. <laughs> I know it well. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the distributors same thing as well. So you you're losing a lot uh, just to be able to work with them. It's so funny because there is a point where you go, like if I'm gonna. This is gonna be uh, a little bit esoteric. If I'm going to build a house. I'm going to need concrete, wood, nails, etc., paint, you know. If 
if there are 10 vendors and each vendor has a sub vendor and a sub sub vendor, that markup continues to grow. Let's forget about the fact that there's shortages and all that other stuff. So you have so many hands in the particular pie. However, if you, this is random, if you have your own forest, you have your own this, and you cut down your own trees and so forth, so that profit becomes uh, more in your pocket. Part of that is the price of doing business and you don't want to have to go make all that infrastructure investment in order to be able to have a graphic novel. But on the other side, uh, I, I think people don't fully appreciate just how much work it takes and how little money is made in the big picture. Would you say that's true? Yes. It's just pure examples. Just to write down the story of Red Atlantis that took us about a year just to create the whole story, the world itself. Then it took about a year uh, to Stephanie and uh, Aftershock to turn these ideas into the graphic novel. Uh, so it's two years of production or just nonstop work. And then, uh, in a, and then it's another year to release it all. So from issue one to issue five, plus the paperback edition. So five and one, which was on sale right now in, um, at Barnes & Noble. It's about two years uh, and eight months total. So yeah, it's a lot of labor hours. It's a lot of money invested. It's actually, it, it's a pretty big investment on financial part as well, just to make one book. So without the printing, uh, it's about $85,000 wow. just, just to make uh, a 100, 100 page graphic novel. If you want to go in the high quality with the uh, perfect artist, perfect writer, uh, colorist, letterers, so that's a lot. <laughs> That's right. My dog has figured out how to open the door uh, with his paws, and I don't know how he did that. So I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to handcuff him uh, on shows from now on. Please forgive me for that no, interruption. No worries at all. So yeah, that's pretty expensive. So make one book uh, without the print is pretty pretty expensive process, and it's a long process as well, uh, because you have to be careful, like and precise with the details. Uh, to, if you want to choose the right artist and a writer that's another hell of a ride you just because so many talented people around you but you should be sure that they can really execute what you want to want to have because you have your own vision in your head as a creator of the story and uh, with my partners we, we we spend several weeks just to pick the proper uh, artist I want to make sure I got that number right you said for a would you say this is a for a standard graphic novel? Hundred pages or less is eighty-five grand. It's uh, without print. <laughs> it's and it's without print. It all depends upon whom you want to have as a writer and the artist because they have different grades and and uh, in the paychecks. Uh, if it's an A-list writer, A-list uh, artist, then yes. If you want to go as as uh, as big as possible, then it's really really expensive. So this leads me to my next question, which is, uh, I know this is a passion project. It's a, a, a love. Uh, you're a consultant over here. You're a graphic novel designer, executive producer. Do you think and do you want to eventually get to a point where that's your soul? Media is your soul uh, energy. I think so, yes. Um, and also graphic novels, our main goal is to re to make a deal on a movie and TV, which is, I guess, the holy grail for everyone who is doing the graphic <laughs> novels, because that's the, the best uh, the best way to do it. Also, graphic novels, it's kind of, it's really, graphic novel itself, if you look at this, it's already good to go pitch for movie and TV. It's all visual. It's yeah, not, storyboard's not, already done. 
yeah, that's all done. It's all in it. Uh, you can support it with the maybe four-page uh, story, uh, small deck explanation, like pitch, which is more than enough as well. The executive not going to read more than four pages, so you you write on, and then the rest is visual. Um, uh, so yeah, we, we kind of we thought that okay, we have so many crazy scripted ideas. What's the best way to do it? Uh, just to write down it uh, into the Bible, then do the pitch, and then maybe go and pitch around to the networks and spend another 20 years trying to sell it, which is most common situation, um, not going to work. So it's a lot of labor and almost no money. If you do the graphic novel, there is a possibility you can refund yourself uh, uh, because you, that's a product you already can bring, put on the market. It's still something. And it's already secured IP, secured story. Uh, and, it's, and actually, it's ready to go. And most likely it's going to catch some attention. Maybe you have some uh, fans and followers, people who love this story. So that's all, at some point, it's a moneymaker. It's, it's some kind of a, um, refund of your time and your labor and your creativity. So it's at, at some point. But uh, as for entertainment, yes, I want to stay in this line. I'm looking for uh, some opportunities to work as a consultant inside in the movie industry as well. Because the way Hollywood and some... Other guys are portraying the guys from my former organization. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I kind of, it's, I, I want to change it. So, like, I, I mean, look, some of the spies, uh, American spies right now, guys are saying, hire us. We can help you to portray the right spies in the movie and TV. So, same thing about the bad guys. Come on. Stop showing them as a complete dummies or just a big, like a goons. Um, no, you have to, if, if you want to, that's actually more interesting if you show people. Uh, and your enemies and, and and your guys as the way they are. It's more entertaining. It's more scary. It's absolutely. It, this is going to show you the, how intense and hard this work is. If you have some uh, someone who is not not look like a spy, not act as a spy, running around and killing of dozens of the guys who are like six point four with the two hundred forty pounds, and with 80, <laughs> that's, that's not that's not true. Like, come on, that's just not even. It's impossible even to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more than happy to help Hollywood to, to make the bad guys look like like a bad guys. Yeah, yeah. You can bend bend reality, but don't try to break it. Yeah. Yes. Because it's insulting. It is, and it's yeah. more. It's it's insulting, and it's it's basically killing the idea of the show of the movie if if something really looks ridiculous. Even the plot is great, the story is great, but then after all, you have some something which is completely unfit in it which is not real which is far away from any common sense that's not the way things should be done so really basically if i just stroked you a big check for a few million dollars we could be on our way is that what you're saying what, what do you mean <laughs> let me let me find my checkbook and we'll just get this party started i mean come on now yeah, nothing i love better than to do it now all joking aside yeah since movies have always been has been always the holy grail however movies are have taken a hit due to covid etc i think tv shows and series has especially in the streaming world has really uh created a much bigger broader uh, opportunity and do you would you prefer let's let's say perfect case scenario a streaming situation where you could create a big stack of one you know you could do hypothetically almost american red atlantic jimmy crack corn and just put those various series out and you know feed the machine because of you're course. going to spend about the same amount of money 
Yeah, of course, absolutely. I mean, uh, matter of fact, uh, Aftershock is right now pitching Red Atlantis for TV series uh, to the streaming platforms and networks. Uh, and th- this is, yeah, that's the w- one of the destinations where I want to go. And, and look, if you if your show is air in, in, in on the screen for ten years, for example, if you can just season after season after season, that's fantastic. That's everyone is looking for. You're busy, you're occupied, you're making the great credit, you're making good money as well. Yeah. Uh, and this is kind of you can see the result of your work. Yeah, you you you're absolutely right. The streaming platforms right now are booming and uh, people are spending more time sitting in their chairs and sofas and couches and just watching this surfing for the Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, this is a perfect tee up as we begin to wrap the show. Perfect tee up for our uh, feature called Rapid Fire Questions. I'm sure if you've heard the show, you're familiar with it. And number one is going to be a layup because we just talked about it. And that is this. If you could turn Almost American into a TV series... Who would play the leads? I mean, since you acted in TV's Grimm and the TV movie, what, Plot Against America, my it's a two-part question. Would you and your wife play those roles? Or if you didn't want to do that because it was too much to take off, who would be that uh, dream lead? I'm more as a guy from 80s and 90s. So I guess people whom really I do love and admire, they won't be able to play me. <laughs> they, they need some younger actress who can do it. I Actually, I don't know. That's a good question. I can give you like a really funny story. We've been in Philadelphia uh, looking, uh, working with the local um, FBI guys on some organized crime. And it was an FBI um, agent. Um, his name, no, no last name, but let's call him Grady. So the tall guy, he's about 6.3, like over 220 pounds. Okay. He's been going and working out with me. Once we've been going at night from the bar and um, he leaned to me and said like, Jay, look, um, if at some point you do movie based on your story, can you please find, ask Tom Cruise to play me? <laughs> I said, <laughs> well, look, if at some point we can make Almost American into the movie, I would definitely going to ask Tom Cruise to play um, someone at least, or not Grady maybe, but at least someone in this in in the show. As you're crafting the story, you always think, oh, blank blank would make a great lead. Oh, blank would make a great accomplice. All right, number, question number two, much easier, much easier. What's your favorite cocktail? Uh, Lumumba. Wait a minute. I I know you don't know what that. So we've been in the Dominican Republic, uh, and uh, before uh, our extraction uh, by agency. And uh, we've been hiding like among the surfers and uh, kite surfers community. So the day we arrived at the Dominican Republic, uh, my wife and I, we went to the local kiting like at the, in the surfer's shop. We just get rid of all, all of our fancy clothes. We've ended up in some rip curl and other things like look like the local local guys. Then a few days on the, on the beach, you're tanned. Sure. And you just get, yeah, you just can uh, look like the guys local guys so anyways uh local dive bar for surfers they had a cocktail called lumumba that was a killer machine uh it was uh, milk chocolate vodka kalua uh, and rum and some other things it all mixed together and, and, and ice cream so this thing is it's delicious but it's going to kill the elephant so like after the glass you're almost done and not to be too graphic but uh boy uh, if you had too many of those that next morning would not be fun. Yes. All right, number three, it's very random. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but you've just been asked as an executive producer to develop a Broadway musical about your life. 
what would you call this Broadway musical and who would play you? So it's a little bit of number one, but it's it's something so esoteric as a Broadway musical. That's good. Um, how are we going to call it? Something with a few words, like a cold songs of themes of songs from the cold. Uh-huh. Let's, let's say like they're related to, to my background. I'm not sure that that's proper or not. Yeah. Uh, and then whom to play? Uh, Johnny Depp, I guess that's one one of the best choices in this case, or Charlie Sheen. I guess that would be. I mean, I, he he's one of my favorite actors uh, ever. So or, or Johnny Depp or Charlie Sheen? Yes, that's correct. I, either uh, one of those are your favorite ones? Yeah, I can uh, between them two. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I love the both. I love both the guys. I mean, they are sarcastic. They are really good on camera. They are always bringing something new. All right, last one. It's the last one, but it's a goodie. You and Victoria are joining my wife, Tammy, and I here in San Diego for a sit-down dinner. You get to invite two more people to (laughs) round it out for six. They can be living or dead, although they will be living at the party. (laughs) Who would they be? You get to pick them. And why? Man or woman, living or dead? Sandra Bullock. Mm -hmm. She's alive. And uh, she's... um... She's my favorite actress. Uh, as for male uh, characters, I have uh, two options. One, I guess, in my case, it's uh, Robert De Niro. Oh. My, my, yes, and especially with meeting with the parents when he played the ex CIA guy, that's fantastic. And the second is um, John Malkovich. Yeah, he, he's one of the. Uh, I guess he's among the top five my actors right now in Hollywood. Always was, and he is. Um, and uh, his character in the movie Red, that's the best. All right. Well, Jay, folks can uh, follow you, I know, on Twitter at Janosh Neumann or Janosh Neumann. And, and you know what? There's a good point about the social media. Uh, uh, Luke McCallan was talking to me recently and he said, uh, we were talking about social media. He goes, you know, he goes, I, I can't do it like you do it. I, I just don't have the, the, the time or the energy or the desire somewhat as well. And it does take a lot of work. And I often wonder, this is going to sound a little both sides of my mouth, but I sometimes wonder if that time is better spent on creating reality in, in the form of projects, books, etc., more so than just putting your stuff out there. And I, I know a social platform is necessary, but I don't know that I'm completely sold yet, you know? I don't know, too. That's, that's a good question. Um, look, look, and also, it, it's hard to ask people with, with my background um, and sort of my background and people from the spy or intelligence, counterintelligence world about the social media due to we've always been uh, told that don't go to the social media. Avoid yeah. it. So for us, now it's more necessary tool to promote what we do and who we are. Uh, but if, uh, look, if, if I wouldn't be in the entertainment industry, I would never be in social media by all means. Right. And what you do with the thriller uh, zone, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. You have to interview people. You have to prepare. You have to read all, the, all of these crazy books and stories and just kind of put it through you, analyze this, put some questions on a paper, prepare to the conversation. Some people are um, not really great with English like I am, so it's going to be an additional torture for you just to go through it. Uh, so it's a lot of work, preparation, work, and then editing, and then just release it, and then do it again, again, and again. So social media, it's, uh, it's necessary, and it's really tough, and you should be 
you should have a special talent to be able to do it. Yeah. And I, I guess you have it. So that's why kind of I'm, I'm and I, yeah, that's, uh, you, you can find people who can interview. That's not a problem at all. But the question is, do you want to do it? Are you sure they can execute it? Are you sure they can make it? Are you sure they are really interested in you and in the story you're trying to do? Yeah. So, so that, that's, that's a big difference. And I guess um, you among only a few people who are able to do it. That's well, thank you. It is funny on your note this morning. Hey, are we going live or recording? Uh, I'm just curious. And I'm like, oh, recording. Uh, good. So I can have other takes if necessary. And I'm like, it's going to be fine. Trust me. <laughs> It, that's why you're working with me. And did you find yourself? Was this effort, effortless and fun and thrilling? Yeah, it's nice. And, and that's what I said. Like, did, I already had a, uh, quite a few uh, podcasts and interviews. Some of them went really smooth like today. And it's, it's really, it's all about this vibe. It's about this communication. It's like an acting core, basically operative game as well. Right. When you're recruiting someone or talking to someone, you have to build this bridge, this communication. This would be exchange of these emotions and, uh, and the thoughts. Are you in this conversation? All this could be really plain and cold. So in, in, here you feel you are involved. You are interacting and the, you are part of this conversation. You're not just only the uh, subject of the interview. They just need your opinion. No. And I'm really enjoying this. That's why yeah. it's fantastic. It's great. And um, yeah, it's, pretty, it's really, really comfortable. Well, you're very kind with those uh, compliments. And uh, this has been wonderful, Jay. I uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And I, and I, I guess I owe you physical graphic novel, the books itself. So I'm going to send it to you. That would be wonderful. I ripped through the PDFs, but you know, uh, I usually tell people, please send me hard copy because if I see it stacked in front of me, it's a way better chance that I'm going to read it. Nowadays, people less and less reading books, especially younger generation. They're more about, uh, because life is faster than it was at least, like even 10 years ago, right? Oh yeah. So it's more like click, uh, clip thinking. It's more about the really browsing for the stories. And the graphic novels, if you look at this, they can give you a chance just to go through the story, catch your attention. If you really love it, you're going to buy a book later on. So maybe graphic novels is more like a bridge between the story and a book. So it's right in the middle. That's a really great example. And another thing that has grown prolifically and they're saying will continue to grow at an exponential rate, like f surpassing ebooks is audiobooks. And I don't know how uh, a graphic novel would translate. However, I would be certainly willing to try. I think because of the uh, new technologies, uh, lots of people right now are multitasking. So they're doing some work at the same time listening music. Yeah. Or they can do some work and they can listen to podcast. Uh, you're driving in the car instead of just listening to music, you just can put the audio version of the book or audio version of some interview without the video in it. And I guess graphic novels, because of the new technology, uh, you don't have to buy the book physically right now. You can just download the copy. Right. You have high-resolution cell phones, tablets, computers, whatever, just name it. Yeah, you, you've given me a good idea. I'm going to reach out to more graphic novelists and have them on the show because I can get through things twice the speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can connect you with Ron Martz if you want. Please do. Yes. That's that's easy. I can do it. Ron would love to do it. Well. All right. Awesome. Well, Jay, I got a bounce to uh, give you your time and uh, get cutting on the show. But uh, once again, it is uh, Jay Neumann and the book or a graphic novel, Almost American. And uh, boy, I wish you huge success. I don't think you need big wishes because I think it's going to happen, but I give it to you anyway. I hope. I hope. We need it. We all need it. Yes, <laughs> Your words to God's ears, as we say it. Yes. Happen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank Jay. You. 
How cool was listening to the espionage and intrigue of Jay's background? And I think his graphic novels may make for great stocking stuffers. Just saying. Well, folks, I still have two shows to air before we close out the year. You'll hear from Chris Swan, author of Fire in the Night. It's good. And I have a special year-end guest, the lovely and talented Tammy Temple, as we do a year-end review. Also, I'm excited to announce that January marks Season 2. And we'll start the year right with several heavy hitters that include, check this out, the legendary Ace Atkins... The superstar writing duo of Andrews Wilson, megawatt hit writer John Gilstrap, and the internationally known New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker. Wow, that's a way to kick off 2022. And as I wrap, could you do me a small favor? And take three minutes, maybe two minutes, to leave us a review either on thethrillerzone.com, on Apple Podcast, or right there on our YouTube channel, David Temple Author. Look, it's easy and does so much to help our show, especially five-star reviews. Hint, hint. Okay, get out there and finish your last-minute holiday shopping and focus on staying healthy. I'm David Temple, and I'll see you next time on The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.